Thank you so much. Um, what a joy it is to be here. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Rebecca and Maxeth, for um, having me. Um, I find it always um, such a privilege to minister God's Word. And uh, so, um, yeah, thank you so much. I'm so looking forward to this morning. I'm trusting that God will meet with us in an incredible way. Um, a little bit more about me. Um, my wife, Catherine, at the moment is uh, speaking at our church called The Cable Boston, um, and uh, so she couldn't be here. We have been all over the place. Uh, we have a ministry uh, alongside the church called Frequency, which really is a ministry to help people engage with the person and uh, the, the wonder of Jesus and all that he's done. Jesus really is the kindest person I know. Don't you think? I'm, I'm always overwhelmed by his goodness. I'm always overwhelmed by just how beautiful he is. We, um, as Pastor Rebecca said, we've got two little children. Before I had kids, I would wake up very early in the morning and spend some time with Jesus and say, good morning, Lord. Now that I've got kids, then when they run in, I most often say, good Lord, it's morning. Um, they are... Uh, Five and three years old, they are absolutely delightful. Ezekiel is a crazy little bouncy boy, and Evangeline, my uh, three-year-old girl, is just the most beautiful little thing and has her papa wrapped around her little finger. Um, and we're just a group of about 30 people gathering uh, at the cable bus and seeing Jesus do some amazing things. Um, and I'm so glad that we get to be in this amazing city called Boston. Um, how many of you know that there are no dark places when the light shows up? And uh, I love the fact that light belongs in dark places. Um, and when I told some people that we were going to be moving to Boston, we had a number of incredible prophetic words, um, God speaking to us, lots of confirmation about relocating our family um, where we were based in South Africa to move to the city. Um, a number of people said to me, why would you want to go to Boston? Um, it's so difficult. It's so hard. And um, I said, well, that's probably the place we need to go then. And I love that actually there are no difficult places in the kingdom when God shows up. And it's been such a joy and delight to meet the pastors of this church and to see that God has proven all of the statistics wrong. Because here you are in a church, um, different people, different colors, different languages, all worshiping God. There's no other place like it on planet Earth. I love it when the church works because it reveals the kindness of God in the most extraordinary way. And so it really is a great joy to be part of moving into the city and hopefully adding a good voice to what God is already doing here. And so thank you for having me. I really appreciate that. Won't you turn in your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 7. Um, one of the things I often tell people is that the Holy Spirit is the most inconvenient gentleman I know. Uh, he... I often tell people he's not only my best friend, he's my most inconvenient friend because he, he often loves to interrupt my plan. He often loves to interrupt the thing that I think should happen. I don't know if you've noticed that about the Holy Spirit, uh, that he loves to interrupt your day with his kindness. 
And uh, just as we were worshiping, um, I felt the Lord drop a few things into my heart that I wanted to share. So for those of you who might not be used to prophetic ministry, often God will give me a particular word, a particular picture, which just helps me um, reveal his heart to people. Um, And so it's not weird. It's in the Bible. Uh, We believe God is still speaking today. How many of you know it would be dysfunctional? If God was not speaking, if, if I as a father was not speaking to my children, something would be wrong. And I love the fact that God uses his word as the highest, most sweetest, and most beautiful form of prophecy. Amen. His written word is the most beautiful form of prophecy. But he also uses little thoughts, little words that pop into our heart that then begin to open up um, his heart to us. And so just as we were worshiping, I felt like in particularly in this section, so where the pillar is over there, so this whole section over here, there was somebody who's really been struggling with some kind of condition, um, particularly around your lower back, shooting all the way down. I feel like the emphasis was on the right side of your body, just lots of pain shooting down um, this side. And I just want to pray for you. And so I'm going to ask you to be super brave and just maybe wave your hand at me. Um, if you're watching on um, the, the internet, we were doing a conference just yesterday, um, online conference called Redeem the Earth, and we saw numbers of people getting healed just as, we were, as they were watching um, on, online. Because how many of you know God breaks into every space, in every place, in every way? Amen. And so I felt like somewhere in this section, you've had some kind of lower back condition with lots of pain. I want to pray for that you, ma'am. Uh, do you mind standing just for a moment? I don't want to embarrass you, but I believe Jesus wants to do something. Um, so sometimes the Lord gives me a, a, a word like this to help me locate the person so he can share what's on his heart with them. And I feel like the Lord really wants to encourage you that... Um, the ceiling of limitation is being broken over you. And I feel like this last particularly four months, I think maybe even to do with um, some relational context that you've really been struggling to get connection in, it felt like you've been hemmed in. It felt like you've not been able to break through. And I feel like the Lord wants to encourage you that he loves you that you're incredibly precious to him, and he has heard the prayers that you prayed, particularly late at night in this last season. And I see there have been many moments where you felt overwhelmed and anxious, and I feel like God's going to lift that, and God's going to heal some relational dynamics, not only in your family, but I feel like even extended to workspaces, I feel like there have been some things that have come against you, and you felt like you've not been able to break through. I don't know if there's been some misunderstanding, but I feel like... Heavenly Papa wants to say to you, I'm going to do something remarkable, and you're going to see everything turn around for your good and for his glory in this next season. And I also feel like the Lord is bringing some balance to your body. I feel like there's been some kind of physical imbalance in your, in your body makeup, in your chemical makeup, and God's bringing some, some demonstrative healing, measurable healing over the next few weeks. You're going to start to see that. Um, and so I want to pray for your hip and your back right now. Some of your, is that your family around you? Can you just put your hand on their back? Let's all be part of the, um, the prayer. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we take authority over pain. We take authority over any condition that has caused discomfort. And we release healing right now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd love it if you go and check that out over the next few days and see what's happening. And if God has healed you, drop an email so we can celebrate with you. Okay. 
God bless you. Amen. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> Sorry, like I said, the, I, I do find the Holy Spirit often very inconvenient. I feel like there's somebody, I think you're probably in um, the kind of one, two, three, four books of the back rows over there. Uh, you've got some kind of um, condition, I think, that has impacted um, the motion in your neck. I don't know if it's like a frozen shoulder, but I see just incredible pain in particular. I could be wrong. Do you know what? I don't mind getting words wrong because I'm God's favorite. And so are you. Um, but I'd rather step out and try than not do anything, right? And so I'm happy to make mistakes um, because I'm not God, thankfully. Um, so just, just at the back there, I, I feel like you've got some kind of condition, your, your shoulder, there's been some kind of pain. I just feel like the Lord wants to bring some healing. I think you're kind of in the back rows over there. But you can, you, thank you, ma'am. Thanks for being brave. Um, so Father, we just speak right now to that shoulder condition. We're really healing. Ma'am, I feel like um, the Lord wants to heal a sleep disorder. I don't know if you've been struggling with your sleep, but I see rest and energy levels going up. And I see you waking up with a much higher energy level. Um, and I feel like the, this last season, your rest has been, um, there's been a battle around how you've rested. And I just see the Lord bringing some rest I see the Lord causing your sleep to be sweet. The Bible tells us that the promise is that for those who are his children, he gives us good rest. He gives us good sleep. And so I just feel like the Lord really wants to unlock that for you in this season. And uh, Father, we just speak to every aspect of that body, the pain in the neck, and we ask you for healing. We declare that your kingdom has come. It is here and it is now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yay, God. Isn't God so kind? He knows everything about us, and he still loves us. And what's more, he doesn't just love us, he actually likes us. Isn't that wonderful? Luke chapter 7, verse 38, I'm going to read a very familiar scripture from verse, uh, sorry, from verse um, 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, if, he, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, uh, I have something to say. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. I love this bit in, in this gospel telling of the story. Then turning toward the woman. I just want to say to you, some of you feel like um, Jesus has taken his eye off of you, but this morning he's turning toward you. 
Then came toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, we live in an incredible uh, season. Uh, it doesn't take a prophet to tell you that this is possibly the trickiest season, certainly for me in my lifetime, that I've been in. Um, and not just to do with COVID, not just to do with the pandemic that we're facing, but in every area, politically, in every area, socially, economically, it feels like everything is being, under, being put under pressure. Um, and it's an incredible season to be in. Um, and one of the things that I've noticed about um, particularly living in a Western context and indeed in most cultures is that we tend to gauge our spirituality by our performance, don't we? We, we have a little internal checklist of what's good, what's not good. Um, we have a little internal checklist of how we're doing, um, and we, we, we try and define our goodness or our rightness with God on the basis of that internal checklist. In fact, in most cultures, particularly the culture that I come from, I grew up in South Africa, I grew up in um, a, a, a context where um, white and people of color were separated, called apartheid. I lived for the first 13 years of my life in that context, and there was a, a definite sense of you're going to have to work your way up, you're going to have to push through. There was a sense of performance, and particularly in my culture, um, if you didn't do well, there, there, there'd be shame and judgment that would come on you. Um, I, I grew up in church, my parents are pastors, and um, they're just incredible people, and uh, I remember going to church in the morning, in the car, dressed up, suited up, looking really good. Uh, we, we went to a great Pentecostal church, we grew up in Pentecost, um, where, you know, it's all, all, all wild sometimes, and we were sitting in the back of the car, and I remember my dad saying, now just remember, what happens in the Adams family stays in the Adams family. I'm sure none of you can identify with this, right? And, and you kind of have this internal performance gauge because if you didn't, there's going to be a whole lot of shame. There's going to be a whole lot of judgment that comes on you. In fact, in my culture, I remember going to England, we have a little phrase that says, oh, shame, when we look at little babies or anything that's cute. I don't know how we got there because shame is not cute, shame is not fun, um, but we would look at little babies and we'd go, oh, shame. And I remember doing that when I moved to England first and we had this cross-cultural exchange where I saw this amazing little baby and I went, oh, shame. And the mum looked at me and said, there's nothing wrong with my baby, what do you mean? And I, I began to soon realize that our shame doesn't mean cute, it doesn't mean nice, it doesn't mean warm and fuzzy, it means something bad, because shame, when it happens to you or comes upon you, impacts your identity, impacts how you live, and sometimes we can have shame come on us because of things that happen around us, or we can have shame come on us because of the things we do. Either way, it impacts our identity. Not only that, I began to discover that shame often operates in context of judgment, isn't it? 
Like when you feel shame, you feel judged. Um, again, to use an example of living in England, uh, coming from South Africa, when we tell people to stand in a line, what that means is whoever gets to the front first is the one who gets what they need. It does not mean standing in an orderly line. But when I went to England, the English are awfully lovely, aren't they? They're just so well-behaved, so orderly. And I remember finding myself in a bank line waiting for something to happen, and a bank teller came open, and I saw the gap, and I took it. And I remember the judgment and the stares that happened. In fact, not only that, because I grew up in church, I know a whole lot about judgment. I know what it's like when you're standing in worship and uh, you know what the person did last week and everyone's doing the hallelujah worship and you're thinking, I can't believe they're even doing that. Of course, that doesn't happen in this church, does it? But I know what it's like to feel in those contexts and to live in those contexts and this is the kind of context that Jesus is speaking into in Luke chapter 7. The gospel writers wanting us to give us a clue. This is a context where shame and judgment based on your performance, based on your station in life, based on your economic background, based on whether you're a Gentile or a Jew is all very important in how it operates. And what would happen is, uh, you'll notice that throughout the gospel, Jesus does everything to turn shame on its head, to turn judgment on its head, and to release the kindness of his Father to people. And this was one of those moments, Simon the Pharisee um, has invited Jesus, not because he's being hospitable, not because he's trying to be kind, but because he wants to test Jesus. In fact, He's wanting to expose Jesus, as it were. And and this context um, of Luke chapter 7 is so full of incredible nuance. It's so full of incredible uh, hints at how Jesus sees the broken, how Jesus sees that which comes under shame because he wants to redeem everything. Remember, you need to know that Jesus is the full revelation of God to us. If you want to know what God is like, you look to Jesus. Jesus himself said, I I am the revelation of the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen what God is like. And I love this particular context as we see this incredible shame, judgment, culture that is governing everything. Jesus gets invited to this dinner party. And what would happen in the Middle Eastern context is that these Pharisees, these well-to-dos, these religious elites, would invite people over and there'd be two rooms that would have, they would have, they would have the room for um, the VIPs, the very important guests. You know, I, I wish I was called to be a, a first class missionary so that I can get all the very important invites. You, you, you know what I'm talking about, the, the first class invite, the invite that's embossed with gold, the invite that gets you at the head of the table. And so there'd be a room for the VIPs where they would feed um, all the very special guests, all the religious elite. And then they would have another room, if you're a good Pharisee, for the poor, the broken, the outcasts, those who would not have any uh, right to food. And what would happen is the Pharisee would show off their incredible piety. The Pharisee would say, look how good I am. I've even invited some poor people to come and sit here. 
They, they, they say, oh, look how good I am. When we're done eating over here, when we've had our full, when we've eaten all the best bits, whatever's left over, we'll just throw it over to them and they can eat it. And this woman, this woman of the street, as it were, this woman who was known as a sinner, would not have been in the VIP section. She would have been waiting for Jesus in the, the pity room, in the room of shame, in the room of pain, the room that was just made for the poor, waiting for the leftovers. In fact, you know that the reason the Pharisees hated Jesus was because instead of having dinner parties at the very important places, he was being accused of being a wine-bibber, a drunkard, and a glutton because he was eating with those that no one else wanted to eat with. That's the kind of Jesus that he is. And so this woman who had been waiting, and I suspect that she knew something of Jesus. I suspect that she, she'd heard about this kind king because she wanted to worship him, and she... She brings this alabaster jar, this ointment of very expensive perfume, and she brings it and she's waiting in that room. She's waiting in that section that is only reserved for the poor, the broken, the outcast. And she sees all these men move on in and sit down and she watches them eat and she cannot help herself. She cannot contain herself. So she breaks out of her station. She breaks out of her place and she crosses over the divide into the very important section. And she has to climb over some men to get to Jesus and breaks open this jar of incredible expensive perfume. That looks like worship. That looks like the outrageous, extravagant nature of worship that is poured out in the most incredible way. And she breaks this incredible jar of expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus. And she lets down her hand. She weeps. I, I mean, it was outrageous. This was not the moment that anyone was going to give a round of applause. This was uncomfortable. This was awkward. This was extremely embarrassing. And, and she's sitting, weeping on his feet. And there's something about this kind of worship that always exposes religious attitudes and heart, just, heart postures, right? There's something about this kind of worship that always makes us uncomfortable. <laughs> I remember being in one particular context where I was about to preach at quite a, a big church in England, and I was up in the front row, a man of power for the hour, anointed and appointed, ready to preach. I mean, I was ready to rock and roll. And I'm standing up front, and right at the back, there's this guy who's going crazy. You know one of those kind of worshipers that make you feel uncomfortable? You know one of those slightly over-the-top, a little bit extra kind of worshipers? You know those kind of worshipers that are shouting, and this guy is shouting, he's going crazy, he's laughing, he's filled with joy, and on the inside of my Religious heart, I was going, I wish that man would be quiet. It's so disruptive. Does he not know where he is? I remember thinking to myself, I, he just actually needs to be quiet because he's cramping my style and I've got to get up and preach now. 
You, you know what I'm talking about. One of those guys that if you brought someone who's not yet a Christian, you'd be thinking, I hope that guy's not in church. <laughs> and I remember getting up and um, I leaned over to the pastor. I said, pastor, I mean, what on earth? What's going on? Who is that guy? And the pastor looked at me and he said, well, that's, I'll just call him John. That's John. Uh, John has been um, a struggling heroin addict for many years, but he's been clean for the last five years, and he just worships God extravagantly. And um, as, I, as I sat down, wait, you might want to hold your applause because um, I'll tell you what the Lord said to me. Um, as I sat down, I felt the Lord say to me, the only difference between you and John is he's more aware of my grace than you are. And I remember thinking, I remember thinking, God, forgive me. There's something that happens in the context of worship that the Father wants to invite us into. And it's not something that I often hear preachers preach about because very often when we think about worship, we think about bringing what we think is our best offering, we think about is our best gift. But there's something that's happening in this particular text that's incredibly beautiful. That's not dependent on even the jar of ointment that this woman's bringing to Jesus. It's something far more beautiful. Because you see, there's an exchange that happens in this kind of worship, and I'm going to get to the, my main point in a moment, where God begins to undo what you think you have to have to bring before him. And instead of what you give him, he gives you what you need. You see, the, the writer Paul, the apostle in, in the book of, um, I think it's 2 Corinthians, he, he says to us that we are beholding him and we are being changed into that same image because what you worship, what you behold, you become like. And this woman does the unthinkable. She breaks across the cultural norms. She breaks across her station in life. And she gets right into this room and there's so much judgment, there's so much appraisal, so much shame. And the thing is, oh, okay, brothers and sisters, she already walked in there with shame. She already knew she was a sinner. And she gets to Jesus and she breaks open this jar of ointment. The, the very thing that I suspect she used as a tool for her sinfulness. And she pours it out upon the feet of Jesus. And something beautiful happens here that gets me every time. You see, we think, we think that the most expensive thing that this woman is bringing is that jar of ointment but we miss the nuance of the culture of the day. You see, for a woman, when you, when you let down your hair, 
You're doing something incredibly unthinkable. You see, for a woman, her hair in those days was her glory. It was her covering. It was the thing that set her apart. In fact, some of the early writers and commentators on Jewish customs will say that women never ever let their hair down in public because to do so, you would only do in the marriage room. You'd only do that on a wedding night in front of your husband and you would let down your hair and you would actually say to your husband, I am yours and only yours. Letting down your hair in public was not allowed because your hair was a sign of your piety, it was a sign of your religiosity. And yet this woman does something far more costly than some perfume. She does something that she knows will get her into trouble. She does something that she knows will bring shame on her, but she cannot help but worship him because of his, her devotion to him, that she's got to let down her hair and say to him, I, you, I am yours and only yours. It's outrageous. This kind of worship is scandalous. This kind of worship should not be allowed in their day, but she cannot help herself. There is something about being overwhelmed by the kindness and the grace of God that you don't care who's looking. You've just got to get close to him. You've just got to bring something to him. You've just got to let your hair down. And she lets her head down and worships him. And at that moment, Simon, the religious guy, says, I wonder if Jesus knows who this woman is. <laughs> and what Jesus does is so beautiful because Jesus gets down and he's unconcerned because this is a holy moment where this woman is worshiping him. And he doesn't even pay attention to the religiosity, to the judgment, and to the shame that Simon is trying to put on this woman. <laughs> he simply receives it. And in that moment, there's an exchange that happens. In that moment of Jesus receiving her worship, something profound is happening. Because you see, at that point, Jesus could have said, woman, you are not supposed to touch me like this. How dare you let your hair down? How dare you do this? And everyone would have gone home justified in their religiosity, justified in their judgment, justified in their shame. And everyone in the Jewish world at that time, in, uh, in, in the local newspaper, would have heard the story about the, the sinful woman who, who busted into Simon the Pharisee's house and tried to take over a dinner and how Jesus, the holy, the good, the pious religious leader said, don't do this. And the shame and the judgment and the pain would have continued for that woman in yet another cycle of her life and she would have been judged as unworthy. She would have been judged as a shameful woman and Jesus would have been justified to do that because that's exactly what she was. But instead of rejecting her, instead of sending her away, what Jesus does is he says, keep it coming. Keep worshiping. And in that moment, the conversation switches from the woman to how dare this teacher, 
How dare he, how dare he allow himself to be defiled by a woman? How dare he allow, because they're not even supposed to touch each other in public. How dare he do this? And the shame that was rightfully hers, the judgment that was rightfully hers, he says, you get to put that on me. I'll let them talk about me. I'll take your shame. I'll take your pain. I'll take your injustice and I will receive it on me. And friends, that's the heart of the gospel. Jesus on a cross, naked and ashamed, taking your shame, taking your judgment, taking the internal barometer of what you think is good, and instead of leaving you in your shame, instead of leaving you in your judgment, instead of leaving you in your pain, he says, give that to me, and I will give you my kindness, my grace, my beauty, because you know what happens at the end of the story? Two people go home smelling exactly the same, Jesus and a sinful woman. When everyone's done talking, when everyone's done saying all the stuff they wanted to say about that very awkward dinner party, when she lays down her head on her hair, she smells like the one she loves. The kind of worship that God is looking for does not need to be polished, does not need to be religious. It's why the psalmist says, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. Notice the emphasis was not on what the deer could bring, because the only thing that that deer could bring was his thirst was his need. It's why the writer to the Hebrews says that we get to come boldly in our time of need. Brothers and sisters, in this season, it could be so easy to try and deny pain. It could be so easy to say, oh, we're all good. We're blessed. We're happy. It could be so easy to say, my family's doing great even when it's not and we tend to come to our worship times. We tend to come to our times with Jesus, wanting to get our rightness even righter. When the kind of worship that Jesus is asking for is the real, raw, authentic worship that says, I don't have it together, because it's in that moment, in the midst of worshiping while we wait, that there is an exchange that happens and we get what we did not pay for. We get what we could never earn. We get in Jesus his mercy, his kindness, and his grace. If I were back home, I would call this sermon title, Getting Your Crazy Praise On. Because that's what this woman did. And I want to invite you today, and in a moment we're going to have some worship, and in a moment we're going to have a time just to, to minister prophetically and to hear from God. But I want to start off by saying some of you have approached God with the context of shame where you remember past sin, you remember who you were. And instead of realizing that there's an exchange that is meant to happen in worship, that we get his righteousness, that as we behold him, we become like him. You know, some of you 
are so convinced of your sinful nature that that's what you're looking at. And the Bible says that your sinful nature has been crucified with Christ. Do you know that necromancy is a sin? Necromancy is talking to dead people. Do you know that that's a sin? And you look at your old nature of sin and the things that you used to do and you keep looking, you, you dig that old body up and you keep saying, I'm such a bad sinner. I'm such a bad person. When actually if you turned your affection in worship to Him, to the one that you love, to the pleasure that is far greater than the fleeting pleasures of this world. When you gaze on him, there's this exchange that happens just like it happened for this woman. Because the beauty of worship is no condemnation, now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine, alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine, bold. I get to approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. And God wants to invite you into the exchange of worship. He's not asking you to leave your shame. He's not asking you to leave your pain. He's asking you to bring it. Because as you do and you lay it at His feet, as you let down your hair, there's a beautiful exchange that happens. If ever you've heard me sing, you will know that when Jesus was handing out the ability to sing to my people group, I was last in line. But I don't really care what people think about my worship. I don't really care whether I get the right key or not because I've realized this one thing. He who is forgiven much loves much. And the design of worship is not for his benefit. It's for my benefit. There's something so beautiful about bringing our pain to him. Remember as a young man wanting to make sure that I was perfectly right with God before I worshipped Him and all that did was cut me off from Him. But there's something so incredible when, like this woman, we break through the cultural norms. We break through the sense of shame. We let down our hair and we break open our affection to Him. So just where you're sitting right now, would you do that for a moment? And I don't know what that needs to look like for you. It might look like my friend John who was going crazy at the back. It might look like stillness. But just where you're sitting, would you break open the jar of your affection? Would you open your heart and pour out your affection and let down your hair just for a moment. Can you do that with me? You might want to stand. You might want to close your eyes. You might want to kneel. Whatever is going to work for you, would you do that right now? Let's just pour out an offering of worship to Him. I can't do this for you. 
There's a sound that no angel can make, that only you make. And by the time it gets to heaven, it's perfectly beautiful. So why don't you tell Jesus how much you love him? Just tell him how wonderful, how magnificent, how glorious, how spectacular, how full of splendor he is. Just go ahead and tell him that there's no one who matches his name. And he's outrageously kind, overwhelmingly good. I feel like there are numbers of you who are living with past shame, past judgments. I want to ask you, if you have cycles of memories of sin or even cycles of sin that repeat and replay again and again in your head, today I want to invite you into a life of great exchange. But I particularly want to pray for people who've been living under the weight of shame. If you're watching today, you've been living in a space and in a place where you consistently are reminded of who you were before you met him. Jesus wants to give you a great exchange to remind you of who you are now that you have met him. Holy Spirit, I break shame right now. I break disappointment. break the fear of judgment right now. And I release the kindness of heaven to come. I release your joy. I'm going to fill your people right now. God, I pray that we would worship with the great exchange in mind. more minutes because I feel like I want to just flow prophetically over some individuals. That means I'm just going to get words from God for you. I want you to know that I'm a happy prophet. <laughs> like I don't look for the bad stuff because the last time I checked, God is not counting our sin against us. He's forgotten it. If you are in sin, stop it because you'll reap what you do. But I'm not here to expose anything bad. I want to pull out the gold in you. So as I spend a moment or two prophesying, I want you to know that I don't get it right 100% because no one ever gets it right 
And that the reason we're to weigh the prophetic is to make sure that we've heard from God. And as I prophesy over some of you, please feel free to chat with good friends and good leaders, spiritual mentors that can help you weigh that. Come Holy Spirit, we love your presence. It's just, yeah, it's just touching people right now. More of your presence, God. Release your presence. The great exchange, our shame, our judgment, our pain, for your goodness, your mercy, and your grace. So I feel like there's a couple right at the back. So you've got a beanie on your head. Um, I presume you guys are together. Do you want to just quickly stand right at the back? Yeah, just over there, yeah. I just see the presence of God on you both in just a beautiful way. And uh, so I see a lot of color around you. I see like design and color and computers and just this amazing are you like a graphic designer or into design or something like that like there's a creativity um, on you Um, I see that God wants to bless the creativity that's in you and on you and I see like you upgrading your skills in this next season I think you're in a place where you're thinking about studying or you're about to study and I see some upgrades coming because coupled with this creativity it's like this entrepreneurial edge that you have like you think about starting businesses you think about starting things it's part of how you think and I feel like God wants to say to you son I'm about to bless you I'm about to open up doors of favor for you so you can begin to see those things connect and you can step into what God has for you. And ma'am, I, I feel like you've just got such a beautiful, caring nature. It's like I can see you with like a stethoscope around your neck and you have this ability to pick up on nuance and heartbeats and you have this grace to bring healing to people for some reason. I don't know what you do, but I see you bringing healing and life to people. Are you involved in a medical world or not? social worker, there we go. Um, I feel like God is about to do something very significant with you in terms of how you're involved um, with that because there's this healing grace on you. And I feel specifically the Lord's going to give you grace for um, teenagers in this next season. I don't know if that's the area of specialty, but I see teenagers and I see kids coming from obviously broken backgrounds, but I see God giving you insight to shape policy, to shape the way things are done. And I feel like God's going to give you an ability to connect to the hearts of high-ranking officials in your organization in order to release a context of favor for the kingdom of God, to bring God's life to people. And so God's hand is really on you both. And I feel like God's saying it's a season of new starts for you. It's a season of new days for you. Amen. I feel like there's somebody here, you are, if you're watching, this could be for you too, so go ahead and take this. But I feel like there's somebody here, you are in the midst of going through um, a career change. I see, I think you might be somewhere in this section over here, actually. Um, I think you're in the midst of doing like a career change. Um, specifically, I see... Um, um, 
moving out of like the financial arena into something that's quite unknown and you're quite concerned about that and you're praying about that. I feel like you're in the section. If actually can you wave your hand at me very quickly? I feel like the Lord wants to just speak to you and encourage you. You could be somewhere else in the building. I feel like you're over here. You're in the process of somehow changing careers. I think you're being somehow involved in finance. Is that you, ma'am? Okay. Both of you? Okay, so I, I felt like the, are you guys together? Yeah, great. Um, I felt like the Lord really wanted to encourage you, thanks. The Lord really wanted to encourage you that you have heard from Him. Because um, I feel like this last season you've over-evaluated decision after decision after decision, trying to figure things out. But I feel like the Lord really wants to encourage you, you've heard from Him, and you're going to see some significant doors. I feel like there is a grace on you, particularly you, uh, sir, to begin to own your own time. And I, I see like um, I see like a brand or like a logo or like an idea that's been floating in your head, um, particularly around um, pioneering something new. Um, and it feels really risky. It feels like it's on the edge. I feel like even in the online space, there's something that God wants to open up for you in that space. And I feel like God wants to say to you, saying, I want you to trust me because I'm going to lead you, I'm going to guide you, I'm going to open up the right doors for you. Um, and I, I feel like, have you guys got children? Um, four? I feel like your, your second um, youngest, or not the youngest, the one just above that, I see such a strong personality. Like they just have this ability to push up against boundaries, both in the best way possible and sometimes in ways that you think, what are we going to do? Um, and I feel like the Lord really wants to assure you that that young one is about to have an encounter with God in a very real way. And I feel like you've particularly been praying for this uh, one to have an encounter with God. It felt like there's been an all-out attack on their identity. I feel like a real loneliness is trying to creep in. Um, I don't know if they're still at school or where they're at, but I feel like the father wants to say, I've heard your prayers concerning. Is it a boy or a girl? A girl? Uh, God has met what God is going to meet with her in the most incredible ways. So just be encouraged. God's hand is on you. And for some reason, and I don't often prophesy this, but I'm just going to go with this and you can weigh this up. I see some property miracle breakthroughs. I feel like there's something around property that you guys have been believing God for a particular breakthrough for. Um, I don't know if there's some legal ramifications, but I feel like God's saying there's a breakthrough coming. I'm glad you're shaking your head so that means it makes sense. There's a breakthrough coming and you're going to see some favor in this. And so Father, we bless you. Can I ask you, let's all stand, shall we? Now, I know many of you want a prophetic word, so I'm going to give you a black prophetic word. This is going to be the best prophetic word you could ever receive. God loves you with an everlasting love. There's no other word like that, right? Um, the, the, the president of the deacon um, group, sir and ma'am, the Lord has put an incredible strategic anointing on you. Um, and sir, I see that you are able to think in terms of numbers and strategy. You're able to think in terms of flowcharts and you're able to set that 
up and I feel like the Lord wants to say, I don't even even know if you're full-time in this church, but I feel like uh, God wants to say to you, not only will you serve the church, but you're going to start to serve some other agencies and other organizations that will have a kingdom impact. I see a bridge being built into like the non-not-for-profit world, and I see you being able to consult and cast vision and unlock a kingdom wineskin for the sake of changing the landscape even of the city. And God's hand is really on you, it's on your family. I feel like your kids are super creative. There's this kind of out the box creative thing that's on you. God's gonna bless them. Um, um, God's gonna bless them. Have you got a son? Uh, is your son here? Is that you? Do you mind standing, young man? Um, the Lord has given you an incredible academic ability. Uh, you, you've got a capacity for academia. And the Lord is going to, it's like I can see you sometimes think in solutions and numbers. It's like it gives you a buzz. <laughs> and uh, I actually see some musical notes. I don't know if you play a musical instrument like the piano or something like that. Um, get, oh, violin. Because I could see like this kind of flow of, because maths and music often go together. And I feel like there's an incredible academic anointing. God is going to use you in the halls of academia. And I feel like there's going to be grace on you, young man, to shape the political landscape, not only for your people, but for many different peoples. And God's hand is on you, and God is commissioning you, as it were, right now, because He's heard the prayers that you've been praying, particularly over the last two or three months, where you've been saying, God, I don't know what my life is to become. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. In fact, I see you writing in like a little journal, and you're saying, God, what, what, what is it that you're calling me to? And I feel like the Lord's saying, I'm going to give you a voice for your generation that's going to bring solutions to very difficult, complicated things in the world of academia, but also even in terms of political spaces, that your justice heart, your heart for justice is going to increase in this next season. God bless you. God's hand is on your family. Isn't God kind? Now, I really wish I could prophesy over everyone. But I want to encourage you, if you didn't get a prophetic word, it's not because God doesn't love you. It's not because God hasn't heard you. Because the Bible tells us that He's heard our prayers. But what I want to do as we end right now is I want to pray for a fresh experience of His love. Is that okay? Um, I really do need to end, but I keep seeing people. This lady over here with the black top on. You're in the right place at the right time. Um, and I feel like you've been wrestling with God in your own heart in this last season because of some disappointments that you've experienced. I feel like even in terms of authority figures that were meant to bless you, that were meant to bring you into a space of favor, they sidelined you and they crushed you. Um, and God's saying, I am the only authority figure and I'm good. And I'm going to start to open up some doors. I feel like there's some promotion coming for you, even in workspaces. Um, but I feel more than that, the Lord wants to say to you that He's bringing an end to a season of grief that you've been carrying. He, he loves you. You know that the crushing that you've experienced, God wants to say to you, has come up as worship before Him. And He's going to redeem every part of that for you. And I feel like there's been like a season of grief that you've just walked through. God's lifting that off of you because he 
loves you so much. You're so precious. Now, if some of these words, some of the lines that I've spoken actually make sense to you, why don't you put your hand on your heart? Or maybe there's something of a breakthrough that you believe in God for. Just go ahead and put your hand on your heart. We're going to trust God right now for some breakthroughs. And so, Father, I thank you for your presence right now. In Jesus' name, I release your blessing. We declare health. We declare healing. We declare wholeness over people right now. I feel like there's somebody who has like a ringing in your ear, tinnitus, that has been consistent and has got worse over the last two months in particular. Just feel like the Lord wants to do something there. Make you put your hand on your ear. If you're watching by way of internet, go ahead and put your hand on your ear if there's been like a ringing tinnitus. So Father, we declare healing over tinnitus. We declare healing over ear conditions right now in Jesus' name. And so Father, we thank you for this great exchange. And now as we uh, do a worship song, maybe, God, we come knowing that there's a great exchange and that your kindness is much greater than we could anticipate. Won't you give Jesus a huge round of applause and blessing?